0: Welcome back to The Office, and thank you for joining us for The Office Hours. This week, Barry and I are going to be continuing our series on the article titled Hegemonic Masculinity on the Mound, Media Representations of Nolan Ryan in American Sports Culture uh, by Nick Trujillo, published in 1991 in the Journal of Critical Studies in Mass Communication. We are covering point number four of five today, so if you haven't heard the other pieces, please go back and gain some additional context. And uh, Barry, this is the second time recording this episode. I'm going to let you take point on this.
1: That's what I'm talking about. We're talking, We're about, talking the about the Frontiersman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we just, we recorded the entire thing and we, we All just, three hours immediate, immediately after recording it, both you and I just kind of had a moment of silence. We, we, it just didn't feel right. We just needed to do this again, you know, and, and I'm really thankful that we did because I, it was brilliant. The, what we recorded was amazing, but this is
0: some great post hoc revisionism right the fuck here. That's what this is.
1: We really just, it wasn't enough. So we're going to do it again and we're going to do even more this time. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait.
0: Listen, we've been doing this for, what, going on three years now, right? Uh, The fact that we had one fuck up so far is uh, a minor miracle.
1: We're we're doing good. We're doing good. Um, Let's just say in terms of uh, our prior discussion about uh, unionization, uh, I think it's a pretty good batting average. Perhaps I need to uh, get a higher wage in this. In this work environment here i'll consult
0: hr about what the yeah, um, yeah. appropriate salary is for someone in your position in this industry um thank you <laughs> and start negotiations with a bag of sun chips uh the least yeah. enjoyable yeah. of the chips
1: uh, Ooh, actually that is a thing in podcasting so um a few years ago like three four years ago podcasting blew up. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but, uh, you know, there's been some distance between when podcasting emerged out of the, um, let's say the, uh, this American life stage and turned into like a mainstream, like everyone is getting in on this sort of stage. Yeah, And, um, so there's you know, early on, there was, there was a lot of money going into this. A lot of, it was kind of like the dot-com rush. People were, people were starting to invest in podcasting. And to a certain extent, they still are, but it, it's pretty flooded now. Like we're oh, yeah. all, we're all doing it. You know,
0: I was going to say, we've made this point before. Our only plan for success is to just outlast everybody else. Right?
1: Yeah. 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 Endurance. Yeah. We're, we're, nuclear, we're doing.
0: <laughs> endure the nuclear winter of, uh, Yeah, we're doing
1: the we're doing the Russian land war game. Just just keep going. Just Just keep going. Just throw bodies until it works. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um.
1: (laughs) No, but I I sat on on a panel with um, NPR, which was the big behemoth. It still is, but Mm -hmm. the big behemoth of podcasting. They're the ones that did a lot of the pioneering to make this the the popular media platform that it is now. And at the time, I think it's four years ago, uh, this coming fall, th- they were saying that their lowest paying um, full time podcasting job, like the lowest paying one, uh, not th- they're not creating content, they're just helping to manage stuff was 70 grand, 70, which 70 is- grand for the lowest paying. Go, go to the advertising industry, which makes billions more money. Yeah. And you you are hard pressed to get an entry level uh, advertising job at the largest ad agencies in New York for more than thirty five grand. Yeah, yeah. In New York, in New York, mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's crazy how much people were paying for this back then, and now, just three, four, five years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's. It's a far cry from what, what kind of career options there were in podcasting.
0: Oh, absolutely. I am making the most money I've ever made uh, in my 10 years of teaching. And I am not making 70000
1: It's wild. Right? It's wild what they were willing to do back then. Right. And, and it's wild where it's gotten chips away at, at this
0: point. It is. It is. And unfortunately, my attempts at applying uh, to jobs at NPR... Um, by attaching my CV to a rock and then throwing it through their office windows has not garnered uh, any return calls, but I'm optimistic.
1: Uh, you'd think they'd reward you for creativity. You'd think, right? Um, I mean, you'd think with this discussion that might guilt trip you into paying me more, but we'll oh, see. Not
0: even a little bit. <laughs> my man not even a little you have to rise above the guilt levied leveraged by uh my mother who was a protestant christian who converted to catholicism there is no <laughs> zeal like the zeal of the convert uh you look like is it does it theoretically exist yeah yeah it does on paper has it ever been actualized Mm-mm. not even a little
1: bit so <laughs> perhaps perhaps i'll pay you more and then you can pay me more yeah trickle down economics. i'll pay i'll pay you exactly uh i'll pay you 10 times more what you're getting paid right now yeah yeah i'll start tomorrow like easy <laughs> all, all, all it requires is you to agree to this can this, I, can this, I this should be great we should five un- times more
0: we should unionize but not with each other
1: uh in- yeah yeah <laughs> Oh man. I am the union boss as well as the <laughs> union worker. Right. Um
0: anyway, going back conflict to conflict
1: of interest is the name of our business.
0: So going back to what we actually are supposed to be recording. Um, oh, right, we had a thing. Right, right. We actually have to do the thing. All right. So uh, And we promised to make it better. We yeah, yeah. Um I swear to God, if if we mess this one up, I'm not doing this a third time.
1: Yeah, I think we should just take a six-month hiatus. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, the, the, the thoughts occurred to me. Um, all right. <laughs> so, uh, point number four from the article quote masculinity is hegemonic as symbolized by the daring romantic frontiersman of yesteryear and of the present day outdoorsman frederick jackson turner's so-called quote frontier thesis argues that the general u.s image is so defined in this context the cowboy stands very tall as an archetypal image reproduced and exploited in literature film and advertising as reconstructed in media representations of the western genre the cowboy is a white male with working class values end
1: quote sure he is definitely uh digging through or at least referencing a lot of the material that has been written at length about the cowboy and the western and um how how the cowboy has been mythologized right Mm -hmm. and what that's done to shape our perception of masculinity what it's done to help harbor a lot of existing um ideology regarding masculinity and and i i think the frontiersman is is one that um I get most excited about talking about because there, there's so many there's so many aspects of it that are are contradicting and yet relatable uh probably because of a lot of my upgra- upbringing and and what what i was raised to identify with it's it's really interesting especially coming from a home where where the western was uh, a fixture in our media arsenal our library had john wayne films in it and um my favorite One of my favorite movies growing up um, was um, uh, The Cowboys, which was one of John Wayne's later films, Mm -hmm. um, which is where he is playing an older man who is uh, at the end of his years as a functioning cowboy kind of on his last cattle drive if I remember right and he takes a bunch of young boys on their first cattle drive Mm -hmm. and it's very risky and it's it's very hard uh and and grueling and he has to like manage this group of like 11 12 13 14 year old boys on this cross-country trip with cattle as they have bandits chasing after them and we get we get a really wonderful display of this idea of the frontiersman as he goes along.
0: That movie actually, it, it gets at something that often these cowboy movies don't, and that is that there is a black ma- a main character.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, one of, one of John Wayne's compatriots and partners in this whole deal. And who he, if I remember right, he demands uh, his companionship mm-hmm. on this cattle drive. If he's going to do it, he, he needs he needs his his buddy to go with him.
0: Yeah. And which is interesting, because uh, as, I've under, as I understand it, based on what I've read about that movie, um, the two actors. Uh, so John Wayne and the other gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment, um, they had real problems with each other because they both very much disagreed on the matter of integration. Like
1: mm. that was
0: kind of in the air at the moment, and they did not see eye to eye. Although apparently they did uh, bond somewhat over the idea, uh, over like uh, maybe music and poetry and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah Roscoe Lee Brown that, yeah. was his, was the actor's name. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that doesn't surprise me. And the the movie, as much as we've tried to be as as endearing to the movie as we can in our descriptions thus far, I mean that i i call them buddies to a certain extent but mm-hmm. they're more like associates as far as characters are concerned in, oh, yeah. in the film um, they, because as much as as uh, some folks would like to advocate that they were like really good friends and very close and everything. They had a trust for each other as more like business associates than anything else. Yeah. Because, I mean, early on in the film, before they take their cattle drive, uh, you know, Jebediah, the the black cook that uh, helps, helps John Wayne or helps, what's his name, uh, Will Anderson... Um, he, he, John Wayne's character makes him go sleep in the the cabin with the boys and is not allowing is, is like reinforcing this racism that's going on that he he has to go sleep with the kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it's awkward for, uh, for Jebediah. It's awkward for the kids and, um, the, the film kind of paints this situation in a real sympathetic light, but that's tangential to the, the idea, um, of the frontiersman though, and and picking that apart exactly. Yeah.
0: And the frontiersman is a trope that we see not just in cowboys specific, right? And not in just the old west era kind of stuff. Um, One of my favorite adaptations of that archetype that is problematized quite a bit is actually in, uh, in Donny Cates, the comic book writer, Donny Cates, his book, uh, God Country, right? Mm So it's Mm -hmm. a a comic book um, about A a frontiersman of a sort, this uh, older fellow named Emmett who has dementia, and he is uh, in the context of the narrative described as like a legend in West Texas, that kind of thing. He's this big, burly cowboy uh, who has been struck with a cognitive disease, and his son, excuse me, his son has to take care of him. It's a whole thing especially mm-hmm. because like uh, his son's wife you know absolutely hates this man because you know the the Emmett is such an abusive jerk and all that kind of stuff and then the the sort of call to adventure that happens is that there's a huge tornado and storm that happens because a sword like the father of all swords lands in the front yard right <laughs> of Emmett's house and when yeah. and when he picks it up when he he stumbles outside and picks up the sword he regains his cognitive abilities and he becomes his old self who was an abusive and jerk and terrible father Right. <laughs> yes. So you have, you know, the, the son who's in this position of like trying to take care of an aging dad who is clearly on the decline, probably doesn't have a whole lot longer to live. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who is in a position of vulnerability while still being very physically like rugged and strong and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, you know, several parts mm-hmm. that indicate that like Emmett is a man that is barely contained. Right. Uh, even by his caretaker. Right. And then when he gets this, like, cosmic deity sword and he becomes his old self uh which at some point involves him fighting like interdimensional demons that kind of thing right who's of course who steal his granddaughter right uh (laughs) because of course there's an adventure story there as well like it ultimately becomes this interrogation of like this archetype right yeah and I, the end is the end is satisfying although and I don't want to give it away for folks who are interested in reading it but I will say it is not necessarily like a, a, a warm fuzzy happy-feely kind of conclusion um mm. it raises the question of how do you forgive or what do you do with the memory of someone who, refuses to apologize refuses to have ever admitted to doing anything wrong and that's that's sort of what underlies the frontiersmanship aspect quite a bit is that in reality like john wayne or you know clint eastwood in any of his movies like these characters are not great family figures
1: right 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 totally yeah totally yeah even when they are portrayed as somehow having some sort of family values or or they may as characters personally regard family in a particular reverence but they aren't personally capable of Mm -hmm. maintaining those sorts of relations in a healthy way right oh yeah 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 well let's let's break down the archetype a little bit more so that we can talk more specifically and we can identify these things more clearly mm-hmm. in in some of the media that we're consuming. So um to you anyways what's what what are some of the features that uh distinctly make the frontiersman?
0: So the frontiersman is defined or at least very strongly characterized by qualities like rugged independence. Right. Yeah. Uh which flies in the face of most of human history. <laughs> Right. Uh, (laughs) Humans have survived because we've learned to work together. Right.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, one of the books that
1: are communal species for
0: sure. One of the books that I keep encountering in my, in the stuff that I consume although I haven't read it, although it's true at some point is called a paradise made in hell. And it's about Hmm. basically how humans survive in the face of disaster, whether it's natural disaster or, uh, you know, human made conflict, that kind of thing. And the recurring theme is that, like, we rely on each other like that's that's how humans survive. Right. But the frontiersman doesn't necessarily. He might have people who help him. And I mean him. Right. It's almost never a woman. Um, But it is. But they are, generally speaking, self-reliant and that sort of thing. Yeah. They are familiar with violence right? Both as, uh, perpetrators and victims of violence. Uh, it becomes a defining quality often in the context of cowboy narratives. We see that like, yeah, there are lawmen, so to speak, but the real authorities are the white hats. The real authorities are the good guys with guns who don't have badges. Right?
1: Right. 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 Yeah. The, the, uh, law enforcement isn't necessarily the moral victor. Oh yeah. Um, but is often the supporter of the more moral victor and something that i I find um distinct about the frontiersman is also that, especially if we're referencing um cowboy films that uh, cowboy films particularly (sighs) portray the the frontiersman or the cowboy hero more consistently than not being this outsider that is kind of straddling the line between society and that wilderness, right? That like yes. they, they they have experience in both and they have a resentment as well as a res- respect for both. But particularly the wilderness, there is a reverence for the wilderness, even if they can't fully just live in the wilderness and stay there, right? They, they continually come back to society um, in spite of their resentments for it and then um, use their experience out in the wilderness to inform how they navigate society.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. They exist in that liminal space between civilization yeah. and savagery, or the wilderness as it were, right? And I say savagery- And that, that
1: hmm? that's something that kind of alienates them from society as well, oh, that yeah. society doesn't get them and doesn't totally understand them. That society may may respect them, but they are mysterious and they're hard to hard to pin down exactly where they stand mm. on anything. But you, you see it in True Grit, and you see it in uh, any number of westerns, right? Oh, that, sure. Like these are these are <laughs> these are things that um, over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. We we do see these archetypes uh, pop up time and time again. Um, th- you know broadly speaking like procedural crime shows right sort of fall into yeah. this right i mean cuz that's totally. that's often totally. how these these characters are framed and my use of the word savagery earlier was intentional because often they're framed in this context of like if you are a human being living in the wilderness you're a savage like the natives and you know obviously that's the the language of the trope and that kind of thing right that's what that's right. how it's framed right.
1: That is the character characterization of it, yeah. right?
0: And so the cowboy exists in this space in between. And to your point, society has a use for them, and to that extent, they're they're respected. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, right. they deserve to exist on the fringes by the dictates of normative respectable society. Right.
1: Right. 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 All right. And, yep.
0: And so, it, this reminds me actually, like, um, you know, it should have been a clue uh, in Toby Keith's early discography. Uh, that he was going to be the way that he turned out in terms of his politics. Uh, when he says in one of his songs, um, he uses the line riding shotgun with the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers are never the good guys or they're <laughs> rarely ever the good guys. Right. Like in, right. in pop culture and in, in TV and media. Yeah, sure. But like in reality, like for those not familiar, the Texas Rangers were founded as a militia organization uh, whose job was to exterminate Mexicans. Like, yeah. Uh, anyway yeah so that that toby keith elected to side with them right uh and not you know jesse james or you know any of the other notable bandits or whatever you know he we should know from the get uh yeah <laughs> that being said uh in the vein of country music actually there is an example that i want to refer to and that is as we record this um jason aldean uh whom people may be familiar with as uh uh, vaguely uh, musical country artist uh, in black hat and blue jeans, number five, um, <laughs> has been getting absolutely rocked in terms of a recent song that he released in a uh, in a country music video to uh, to go along with it. The song is called "Try That in a Small Town," right? And it is. Uh, I'll, I'll just give y'all a, a little bit of the, the lyrics uh, to begin with. And then I won't read the whole thing. And then we'll talk about like this sure. video a little bit. And so the opening line is sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk, carjack an old lady at a red light, pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool. Well, act a fool if you like cuss out a cop spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah. You think you're tough. Try that in a small town. See how far you get. Basically. Um, he uh, a little bit later on, he says, got a gun that my granddad gave me. Uh, they say one day they're going to round up, uh, well, that ship might fly in the city. Good luck. Right. And then in the, the, uh, titular small town, uh, he has, there are apparently quote, it is full of good old boys raised up. Right. If you're looking for a fight, try that in a small town. And this is just a new, this is another iteration of the whole, uh, law and order, right? Trope yeah right oh totally yeah yeah yeah. and it very much connects to this rugged frontiersmanship aspect because one small towns are notably distinct from cities as indicated in the song right small Mm -hmm. towns are Mm -hmm. where rural folk rural folk live uh they are full of good old boys who were raised up right presumably by some sort of uh code of ethics uh that is we're going to say at least loosely christian based as articulated here,
1: and as it's used in this song as well, um, w- we we see small towns, particularly that f- uh, phrasing of it. Uh, as a used as a signifier for particular kinds of values, particular kinds of people, particular kinds of cultural aspects, right? Um, oftentimes, small towns are are used, or the small town sort of signifier is used in contrast to other signifiers that are also culturally. Um, used as kind of political mm-hmm. points uh, like Chicago right Chicago being a, mm-hmm. a big city a uh, uh, particularly um, racially charged uh, usage both small towns in Chicago but used kind of opposing each other mm-hmm. right that like small towns are where innocent white people live who are just trying to keep to themselves and and live a nice moral lifestyle whereas, Uh, Urban cities and like places like Chicago are where uh, allegedly uh, people of color are sinning and doing bad things and hurting people. Right. And they're kind of the rhetoric is used in that sort of clunky, but uh, very uh, heavy hitting sort of way.
0: And this is something that we actually see quite a bit in early comic books. Uh, circa the 1940s when there was a lot of anxiety Mm. around the recent industrialization, I say recent within like a generation or two, uh, you know, population booms in the cities and this sort of concern and worry that cities were these dens of iniquity, right? Uh, it was where America's morality went to die, not before having a good time Mm. though. Right. So which is why we get some of these narratives involving characters who are going from the cities into going from the country into the city in order to fight the crime, as opposed to say the crime that would naturally occur in a small town.
1: Right, Right. Right. And, and I mean, it's, it's, the the history there is a classic case of everything that we're experiencing today like nothing's changed but you know like in the early 20th century with this boom in industrialization and a big push to be there for the industry for jobs for s- sustainability and everything mm-hmm. you know urban areas became uh, quite densely populated became areas because they were neglected and underfunded and not not really taken care of on an infrastructure level, particularly, you know, these places became areas where disease and you'd have like, you know, uh, cholera outbreaks in the middle of the city regularly and Mm you would have like 10, 20 families per apartment all crammed together, you know, and perhaps I'm exaggerating, but the, the these places were often dangerous to live in because you were packing so many people in a neglected and uh, falling apart sort of urban area, right? Like the, the, there was some truth to the danger, but when it became moralized and turned into well it's because the wrong people are there if the right people were there right. then everything would be fine that's that's the rhetoric that is continually used today especially it becomes
0: a matter of being framed as moral degeneracy as opposed to just probability where you have more people you have more crime
1: right right. right and so when you have when you have like this guy writing this song right yeah. he's <laughs> I I talk about him like he's just a guy who just decided to wake up one day and write this song. I don't, did he even write this? Uh, It's it's unclear.
0: I don't think that he did.
1: He did not. No, songwriters are, he is not included in the songwriters. uh, Good for him. Good for him. So yeah. when you have a guy like Jason Aldeen who goes and purchases a song like this to go perform, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or or when you're a piece of trash songwriter and you are <laughs> trying to make a buck and you find a Jason Aldeen who's interested in buying a, a stupid song like this, right? You know, right. like you are you are actively uh, leveraging these signifiers that are you know age old we have not lived. No, no one alive today has lived in a world where these tropes have not existed. Yeah. And we, uh, everyone knows what they mean, but they're able to say it without having to overtly say it. And the, I think the, the, the thing that is, um, implied here, particularly in this song is that the, the, the frontiersman attitude and the frontiersman, um, type of person is a an implied solution yes to this problem a
0: vigilante solution because you'll note they're not saying that yeah the cops will hold you accountable and you'll be tried by a, a jury of your right. peers no the solution is that like we'll beat the hell out of you and you might die <laughs> like it's kind yeah. of the implication yeah. right and in that vein of you might die um part of what drew some controversy to the song there are a few other things that did, but one of them is there was a particular courthouse, right, that was used in the music video. Now, the music video features a, a variety of things, including um, some protests, some vo- footage of protests uh, that are at least implied o- or are overtly of Black Lives Matter protests, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it,
1: I haven't seen it myself. I've had a really tough time bringing myself to do it. But since you have seen have at seen least it. portions of it, is its it, is it is it? Are these protests characterized in the same way that the Pepsi commercial characterized protests? Uh, Do you remember uh, the? I the, know what you're talking about. The not Even a little bit, nah. Just these- like very gen generic signs that say nothing in particular, but.
0: No, these are these are like it would have not been out of place for there to be just like Antifa superimposed on some of these protesters, right? Uh, uh, I got gotcha. like yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it was, is there a blue haired liberal? There has to be somewhere in there. Prob- they, they, I I cannot imagine they produced this without putting probably, but
0: what did stand out to me, <laughs> there probably is. But what did stand out to me is that a lot of the cops are in riot gear. Right. Mm. So mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to just, just, I don't know how else to say this. Like that should have been the if good old boys existed i think they would take issue with cops and riot gear and military grade equipment i would like to think I don't sure know.
1: sure <sighs> yeah. I, I don't know my experience has said that it, it depends on who who the riot gear is aimed at you yeah,
0: know <laughs> yeah. no i mean maybe i'm being too optimistic here um but anyway, so so there's all kinds of footage of like crimes being uh, committed, protests turning violent, you know, people fighting with the cops, that kind of thing. Um, so one of the uh, one of the things that stood out was actually that there's a courthouse uh, from Tennessee that is of historic note, and actually I'm going to read real quickly from an NBC News article. Uh, titled the grim history of the courthouse and jason aldean's new music video i'm just gonna read a, a few lines here uh, a music video by country star jason aldean has drawn widespread attention in part for featuring a tennessee courthouse that is known as a site of a heinous lynching that happened a century ago uh, released on youtube on friday as of the writing of the article which was july 20th the video for the song try that in a small town features aldean and his band performing in front of the maury county courthouse in columbia the same site where a black teenager, teenager was lynched in 1927. Henry Choate, uh, 18, was accused of assaulting a white 16-year-old girl. He was jailed, but a mob of hundreds of white people kidnapped him from his cell. He was tied to the back of a car and dragged across the town and eventually hanged in front of the Maury County Courthouse. He was one of at least 20 black men in Maury County to be lynched or kidnapped and presumably killed by the KKK or white mobs, according to local historian Elizabeth Queener. Um
1: yeah horrendous one of
0: the things that is particularly horrendous about this not just this particular killing but in lynchings in general uh which is also kind of implied i think by the fact that like in the song jason aldean refers to good old boys and people in the small town right that are committing acts of violence and no one's none of them are facing retribution for it, at least not within the narrative premise Uh, And that is that a very common line pops up in the historical record when we look at the newspapers that cover these murders as they happen. And that is Mm -hmm. uh, committed by persons unknown or some variation of that phrase. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there's photographic evidence of the people involved or, you know, these are things that happen in broad daylight or, you know, how people get into a cell, into a locked cell. With the keys, yeah. <laughs> right,
1: right, 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 right,
0: and there's countless examples of real life um, instances where you know the police were actively involved. Either, not, and I'm not even talking like, oh, maybe they you know left the door open or something like that because they knew something was bad was going to happen. But I'm mean, right, like actually right. holding we- the rope themselves, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's still committed by persons unknown. Right, 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 right. Because that's yeah, just it, like. Yeah. There is violence here. Everyone knows there's violence here. And no one is going to do anything about it, either because they want it to actively happen. Right. Or they're too afraid to say anything.
1: Yep. Yeah. The mob is allowed anonymity.
0: Yeah. Actually, I want to contrast this a little bit with another song uh, that is, I think, exceedingly appropriate. It is called Long Violent History by Tyler Childers. It was released in 2020 amidst the protests of that year. Uh, Tyler Childers, for those that don't know, is a Americana uh, recording musician. Americana I've heard described as where country music actually went.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's not the uh, soft rock with slide guitars, right? It is
0: not, it is not that at all. Um, So I like Garth Brooks. I blame Garth Brooks for the state of country music,
1: <laughs> right? Um, I, whatever do you mean? Uh, how, how on earth could he have changed or swayed the direction of country music? God
0: almighty. You know, like, here's the thing. I His song, Rodeo, I love that song. It's a great song. I love playing it loud, but I it hurts my heart to think about what filled his shoes. Um, anyway.
1: I my I am incredibly unfamiliar with Garth Brooks more by choice than anything else but um I I will say the one little bit of opinion that I do have about Garth Brooks is his song The Thunder Rolls. Yeah. Uh he says it too much. Way too much. That <laughs> happens to, Look. Yeah. I don't does. mean to I don't mean to tell the expert how to do his job, but my goodness, you you used the hook too many times. He really does. No, that's that's entirely fair. Um, The number of times he says the thunder rolls is too damn high. It's too much.
0: Uh listen, I have some notes for Garth Brooks concerning his uh his um songwriting as well, but you know, we we don't have all day, unfortunately. Um <laughs> I'm just saying the song Papa Love Mama is about a man murdering his and wife and good day. It's a very upbeat song and maybe it shouldn't be. Uh so yeah. <laughs> the the lines to, you know, Long Violent History. It opens up with, It's the worst that it's been since the last time it happened. It's happening again right in front of our eyes. There's updated footage, wild speculation, tall tales and hearsay and absolute lies. Uh, and he goes on about, you know, how this stuff is everywhere and that kind of thing. And for a little bit, you might even be wondering like um, where he stands politically in the first couple stanzas. And then in the third, he goes into, uh, now what would you give if you heard my opinion, conjecture on matters that I ain't never dreamed in all my born days as a white boy from Hickman, based on the way the world's been to me. It's called me belligerent, it's took me for ignorant, but it ain't never once made me scared just to be. Could you imagine just constantly worrying, kicking and fighting, begging to breathe? Right, and so he's very clearly referencing things like George Floyd uh, and Ahmaud Arbery and and uh, and you know Breonna Taylor and folks like that who who died that year and in the years leading up to it. Uh, yeah. And this is where he sort of gets to the meat of the sentiment that very much is antithetical to that is very much antithetical to Jason Aldean's song. And when he says uh how many boys could they haul off this mountain shoot full of holes cuffed and laid in the street till we come into town in a stark raven anger looking for answers armed to the teeth Uh, he references guns from you know his his grandfather and whatnot and he says uh oh would that be the start of a long violent history of tucking our tails as we try to abide mm. right mm. and so he's he's playing into this sort of frontiersmanship uh, uh, fantasy, right? Of, yeah. you know, we'll get our granddad's old guns, you know, the thirty 030 sixes, the the pistols, the what have you, and we'll come into town, suggesting they are not living in town, they're living out in the country, and we'll exact justice and revenge for yeah. uh, our boys who were so wrongfully killed. And then he does that that pivot um, in the last line when he says, you know, um, would that be a long, sort of a long, violent history of tucking our tails as we try to abide? Because at the end of the day, that's what people do often not everybody but that is a very common sentiment that people who identify with the jason aldean songs should probably reckon with right
1: right right i mean survival looks different (laughs) in a lot of contexts uh but I i think that's i think that's a staple as well i think it's not one that's often talked about but i think it's a staple of the frontiersman sort of ideology that Um, it has to be fantasized about Mm -hmm. and it has to be fetishized and it has to be dreamt about and we have to like daydream about what would we do if we were in a situation where we had to draw a gun and get the bad guy or whatever like oh this is what i'd do you know or whatever i think that's that's an essential aspect of maintaining it you have to constantly rehearse in your own mind your role as the frontiersman because mm-hmm. if you don't reality sets in pretty quick it's it's oh yeah it it gets pretty clear without rehearsing it that we're a little bit more vulnerable than our our frontiersman fantasies would lead us to believe right well
0: and and, and jason aldean found himself in that very position right mm-hmm. right a few years ago a mm-hmm. couple years ago he was at the he was on stage performing in Las Vegas when the infamous Las Vegas shooting occurred, right?
1: Yeah, yep, yeah. And if, if there's any rehearsing of that of those details, the the shooter was in a, an adjacent hotel yep. across the way from the, the concert, right? Mm-hmm. And um, shot through the windows of the hotel and into the crowd and was not aiming into Las Vegas, yeah, aiming at the crowd of the concert, yeah. right?
0: And he did what was a reasonable thing, and that is he ran, right?
1: Jason, that is. Jason yeah.
0: did. Yeah, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, Jason yeah. ran. When when <laughs> shots were being fired and they identified what was happening, he fled the stage, right? Right. The, the, right. the good old boys of myth were not there. And maybe it's because it was the city and they're not able to enter the city, kind of like vampires can't walk into a home unless they're invited, right? Maybe that's the case. But like He as
1: heroic as there were of of gestures and actions that people took that day. Sure. Yeah. This this idealized version of the posse that's gonna get together and round up the bad guy and take care of him. Yeah, that simply wasn't what happened.
0: No, that's that's a good point. I don't mean to be too glib. I mean, obviously that was a horrifying situation, and there were acts of of courage and heroism as people were trying to help other people survive. There was no one who pulled a pistol and returned fire.
1: And that would have been impractical. Yeah, no, absolutely. It would not, it
0: would not have been helpful. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably would have got someone else killed um, by shooting into the wrong window. Um, but yeah, Jason Aldean did a very human thing, and that was he he tried to save himself, right? And perhaps even people around him to the best of his ability. And then he has- But isn't
1: isn't that the the, the I guess that's ultimately the point that we're making, right? Yeah. He did the human thing. Yeah. And that the Frontiersman is not human. No. No, no, that's, that's not that's not real. The the Frontiersman
0: is pseudo supernatural. Totally, totally. And then he includes that line in the song about, you know, rounding up guns and how that won't work in the country that won't work in a small town. As we as we sort of pull this to a close, I think there are a couple of takeaways that, you know, we should we should make here. And I think one that's important is that we need to distinguish between the pop culture, Hollywood trope, right, of the Frontiersman, of that sort of stuff versus actual people who live these kind of lives right or who oh. have lived these kind of lives and you and I both know people mm-hmm. who have like who have legitimately had to live off the land because it was a matter of survival that was the context into which they were born or in which they found themselves and they needed to have certain skill sets that are reminiscent of the frontiersmen in order to navigate those hostile environments the example i like to go to is like my dad and his uncles who were you know, grew up working in fields and being shepherds. My old man uh, was a shepherd uh, by the time he was a teenager and learned how to use a rifle to keep away coyotes, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he had taken the life of an animal as a matter of survival and necessity before he was 10 years old, right? Uh, right. And there's nothing right. romantic about that. That was a grim reality that he had to deal with. And- has been dealing with since then.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not to say that what he did was unnecessary. Uh, contextually, I don't even know. Like, I can't pass any judgment there. But like, yeah. it still affected him, yeah. right? That there's no like frontiersmanship that's gonna like mm-hmm. protect him from the feelings that he has to undergo when oh, yeah. when dealing with the lifestyle, right? Yeah,
0: there was a there was a rabid dog that was threatening the livestock and it had to be dealt with and he was you know as a kid put in charge of that so yeah, yeah 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 um and you've mentioned growing up or you've known like folks who were ranching or cattle herds or that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah, yeah. um i mean as, about as close to a john wayne film as you can get right like yeah. I, I have i have a buddy of mine was a uh you know grew up in a cowboy family herding cattle through southern utah like Adjacent to Monument Valley, because I don't think you're allowed to actually put cattle in Monument Valley at this point. But um, not according not to the illegitimate
0: the, federal government. No,
1: <laughs> I don't think they would survive very well in Monument Valley. Honestly, I don't know but what that like, is, so I'll
0: take your word he, for it. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Monument Valley's the the. Uh, the desert scape that you see in most classic Westerns um, with the big dramatic cliffs and everything. And um, if you, if you've watched the searchers, it's, it's where the searchers is based, but uh, outside of that uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, he, he grew up as a cattle rancher and would go on cattle drives across the desert with, uh, you know, hundreds of heads of cattle. And um, that was his, his life growing up. He does not do that today by choice. It's not, it, the family's still doing it. He chose not to, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's not to say that that is an inhospitable lifestyle, it, but it is to say that like, it's, it's not this idealized you have suddenly awakened to the re realities of our world. It's not like you, you escaped the Truman show when you are finally in the, the, the <laughs> you are outside of the matrix. Once you become a cattle herder and, and take on the cowboy lifestyle, right. it's
0: tough. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. And it's not always enjoyable, right? No, no, it's not. In fact, my old man was, I mean, on the one hand, he was happy to share his knowledge, but also kind of perplexed that like my sister for a while wanted to be a farmer. Cause he's like, wow, it sucks.
1: Like yeah.
0: it's hard work. <laughs> like don't get me wrong. My dad would farm recreationally if his life allowed for it, if that's all the labor right. he had to do, right? Was like, right. you know, tend to field or
1: whatever. But to make a but living. You wouldn't go way, back no. to the quote unquote good old days of, of- no, All of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not to say that there aren't people who get something out of that. It's, sure. it's a, it's a real, it's a real lifestyle. It's a real profession. It's something that's legitimate, but it's not an ideal. It's just another of many choices, you know, and mm-hmm. Um, To to turn it, to mythologize it and turn it into this like mystical thing where you are suddenly in touch with reality in a way that the rest of society cannot possibly be. It's just simply, simply not the case. It's just another reality that you're working with it.
0: Well, it's, it's the, it's the Cincinnatus and George Washington myth, right? it's the uh yeah, cincinnatus yeah. the, the roman uh commander the general right who retires from a life of warfare and uh you know tends a farm and george washington you know you know doing something similar right admittedly i think right. washington's was run by slaves i don't know if Cincinnati's was but all the same like that's the <laughs> that's the myth right the warrior who chooses a life of agrarian peace right yeah of some sort yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 uh and it's largely bullshit
1: uh. <laughs> well and and I think I think lastly one of the things that is typically the the society uses you you talked about how society finds use in the frontiersman right that like there is a a yeah. the frontiersman is a tool mm-hmm. and A lot of it has to do with this supposed relationship or understanding that the frontiersman if we're talking about westerns again the the frontiersman has some sort of understanding higher level understanding of the quote-unquote savage right that the, the the westerner or the westerner the the western hero is able to navigate um people of color in a way where he he understands how to Manipulate and take control, and ultimately overpower uh, the the people of color that are either on the fringes of society or in in uh, one way or another integrating within society. And um, the the greater white society uses the 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 frontiersman or if we're talking about reality uses those who are aspiring to the frontiersman sort of mindset to be the uh you know the informal enforcers of that and i i don't think it's any uh question or or coincidence that so much of our military and our uh, law enforcement uh the the culture within those subgroups are are trying to harvest and and really encourage the the frontiersman sort of attitude
0: oh yeah um without getting too much further into it because we do need to conclude but like it's like uh michael grossman right who developed the bulletproof uh mindset right uh or i think he yeah he calls it the science of killology uh, who basically he beautiful. Yeah, uh basically he trains cops to be afraid at all times and seek lethal violence as a preemptive measure. Uh he yeah. was on uh he hi- was hired and did training for uh the Minneapolis Police Department.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean basically dirty harry, right? Yeah. Like just it, turned into a it, a training camp. It
0: basically, you know, makes you afraid at all times uh that even a routine traffic stop. And in effect, one of the videos they use is of a routine traffic stop where the uh where the person who's being pulled over just shot apropos of nothing, uh the officer right smack in the face, right? And then it's like yeah. an interview with and, his and dad.
1: basically trains them to mm-hmm. think every single traffic stop is going to be that until proven otherwise.
0: Absolutely. And so and that's implicit in the frontiersman, right? That danger is all around. You are beset on all sides by threats and hostiles, and that you need yeah. to be Going back to what we've talked about in previous episodes in this series, you need to be equipped mentally and physically to exert force to, you know, either save yourself or save somebody else. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Well, wow. yep. Well, that seems like a good place to uh, to pull this to a close um, on a real optimistic note. Anyway, this uh, concludes this episode. We'll, uh, I guess, pick up with point number five, the last in our series uh, next week. And yeah, if you are. The happiest one. uh, Hegemonic masculinity and heterosexuality. The happiest one. The happiest one. one, um, Where we get to use words like sex hierarchy uh, and quote unquote natural monogamy. So, uh, (laughs) thanks for dropping (laughs) by the office. Uh, You know, please, you know, leave us a review. like share you know give us a, a rating that's at least fair to Midland on whatever platform you listen to this on leave us a comment that kind of thing and uh, yeah play us at your uh, monumental life events where you need something unique where the guests are gonna say you know I didn't expect them to play a podcast uh, during their first dance but that is a thing that is a move
1: um, you'd be surprised how often you find yourself in a situation where that could be the case <laughs>
0: Uh, that just like screams granola e wedding, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So share us with your friends and enemies. Uh, play us at awkward dinner conversations. We need to fill the void. And if you need to, if you need for some reason to hear more of this kind of content, you can find my foolishness at ga Cruz underscore PhD on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can send your uh, hate mail or. Uh, Professions of Undying Adoration to PhD at gmail.com and uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you next week y'all take care